the political motivation she had her friend, alleged boyfriend, whatever it is, now being paid and is involved here on a politically motivated election interference case that we know President Trump did nothing wrong. Alina Haba is a Trump lawyer. Uh, talking about the DA just, I don't know, 60, 65 miles to our west, perhaps you have heard. Fonnie Willis uh, in a bit of a jam, uh, deals with a conflict of interest, an alleged conflict of interest. She, of course, trying to prosecute Donald Trump, hires a special prosecutor, turns out to have been a boyfriend, all kinds of hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars allegedly misused, and all kind of concern now about the efficacy of that case moving forward. Nothing to do directly with us in our DA's office. We have a district attorney here who is going to be up for re-election in the fall of this year and has announced opposition who joins us in studio this morning. Kaki Yalaman Chidley with us this morning. Kaki Yalaman Chidley, thanks for coming in this morning. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. Not to sandbag you or anything, but just this, that, the the, the alleged conflict of interest, without getting into any of those weeds and the specifics of what's going on here. How do you, uh, you've worked in a DA's office, you've been an attorney, how do you go about, where is the, where are the lines, where are the guardrails, how do you as an individual, separate yourself and guard against things like conflict of interest? Well, I think that's incredibly important when we're talking about the criminal justice system, especially from the side of uh, representing the state of Georgia, that we avoid actual conflicts of interest, but we also even avoid the appearance of a conflict of interest whenever possible, because that's what gives the public confidence that the justice system is being administered in a fair way, in an even-handed way, and without any kind of consideration for who it is that, in particular that's being charged with a crime. You were in our studio some months ago as you were announcing your intentions to seek this office. We now find ourselves in an election year, uh, the election in November. Uh, we touched on this, I think, at the time, uh, and we'll follow up on it a little bit more. I, I'm interested in your thoughts now, see if you're thinking this has evolved in any way. Deborah Gonzalez, a Democrat and an incumbent, ran in one as a Democrat. And refresh my memory, your intention is to run this in a nonpartisan way? That's right. That's right. We're uh, running as an independent candidate, running a nonpartisan campaign uh, for the district attorney of the Western Judicial Circuit, which covers Clark County and Oconee Counties. And why? Why not align yourself with one or the other of the parties? Well, you know, like we talked about before, we made reference to the previous time I was able to be in the studio with you. That comes from a place of real honesty for me. I think that the role of the district attorney is not a political role. It is not something that should be motivated by whatever your individual political beliefs are. It's really a place of public service uh, in which the goal is to make sure that we have competent prosecutors who are enforcing the law fairly and committed to doing the right thing the right way, regardless of who is watching. Well, you know, we had we had a clerk of courts race uh, special election uh, last year, and Deborah Gonzalez, the DA, inserted herself into that with an endorsement uh, of the, the, the lady who eventually won that special election who ran as a Democrat against an opponent who, like you, uh, declined a party label. Uh, and Deborah Gonzalez making a point in, in her endorsement in that race saying, listen, you tell me you're a Democrat, you tell me something about yourself. You tell me you're a Republican, you're telling me something about yourself. When you don't do that, when you, you don't tell me which or the other you might be, you're, you're concealing things about yourself. Any merit to that argument? 
I don't think so. And I mean, what I what I would like to point out about that is you can talk about telling people things about yourself. I think what's more important is what you show people by the job you do and the actions you take. I'll stand on my record uh, from when I was a prosecutor and my record when I went into private practice, uh, my experience in courtrooms, my service to the community through the nonprofit I serve on through you know my role as president-elect of the Rotary Club of Athens, my, the honor of being appointed as a special master for attorney disciplinary issues to uphold the high ethical standards of our profession. Um, I will stand on those things and ask people to look at what I've done over the course of my career that qualifies me for this role and also look at the ways in which our current district attorney, Ms. Gonzalez, has failed in her actual actions. She's failed to serve crime victims. She's failed to protect the rights of people in our community. And she's failed to connect those who are suffering from substance abuse and mental health issues with the services and programs that are available to us in our court system. And I promise we'll give you plenty of time to blast away on, on what you see as her record and, and from your perspective, her failures in office. Again, Kalki Yalaman Sheely uh, running for DA here. Uh, Clark and Oconee counties, the Western Judicial Circuit. I know we plowed this ground last time you were in, but quickly revisit. Not everybody was listening. Uh, the background, the resume. Uh, first generation, uh, your parents came from India, correct? And you grew up down in South Georgia, Albany. That's right. Yeah, my parents uh, immigrated to the United States. Uh, I was born and raised in Southwest Georgia attended high school there and then came here to the University of Georgia where I did my undergraduate degree. I left and lived in St. Louis uh, during law school and then about a year in Atlanta before I came back uh, to prosecute felonies at the district attorney's office. Who was the DA then? That was Ken Malden Malden. was the DA then. I worked for Ken, um, consider Ken to be a friend and a mentor, really found my time at the DA's office working for him, incredibly rewarding because it gave me an opportunity to serve my community in such a significant role. The role that an assistant district attorney or any prosecutor plays for their community is incredibly important and impactful, uh, both for crime victims and those charged with crimes. And then you left that that office when and why? I left in March of 2018, left on really good terms. I just felt like I was in a time in my life where I was ready to move on to the next thing um, before me. I'd always wanted to run my own business or be in charge of my own operation. So I left and started my own law practice. Uh, Started off in an office with no windows, about (laughs) 150 square feet. Uh, Things have gone really well. We're very fortunate in that regard. I now have a law partner, Adam Hebbard. Our firm is HY Law, and we employ uh, two paralegals full-time as well as a secretary who's currently out on maternity leave, but uh, will hopefully return uh, once she uh, finishes up that maternity To get leave. into the part of this, it's none of my business, but one of the things that we frequently hear, I'll be blunt about it. I've asked a couple of folks in town if they have considered, uh, folks are very, very critical of the DA, well, in, in my year every other week, and I'm like, okay, well, why don't you run? And they're like, I can't afford the pay cut. I mean, these are folks like you who are out in private practice. Uh, Is that a factor at all in this, in your estimation? It's a reality. You know, private practice gives you uh, greater financial opportunities than drawing a, you know, government salary. Uh, But for me, when we considered that and when we considered it as a family, uh, my wife, Caitlin, is an attorney as well. She works as a prosecutor in Barrow County. Uh, For us, it was more important to do what we thought was the right thing to fill a need, a, a 
incredible need that we're seeing in our community. And both of us understand from having done the job, uh, the serious nature of the role and the need for people once they've had a crime committed against them to have an effective advocate for justice in their case. And so for us, it was something that we were willing to do. All right, Kalki Oliman Sheely, candidate for DA, the Western Circuit, Clark and O'Connor Counties. My caseload was 870 cases. Yes. That's impossible. It is impossible. It is unsustainable. Uh, Deborah Gonzalez, the DA, uh, District Attorney for Clark and O'Connor Counties, talking there with Channel 11, 11 Alive in Atlanta. Uh, Deborah Gonzalez up for re-election this year, would seek a second term. Already opposition, and we're talking with the opposition this morning, in studio with us, Conkley Yalom and Sheely. Worked in that DA's office, as he said, until 2018. She mentioned the caseload there, and she said, I'm short-staffed, and we got a huge caseload, the pandemic and the backlog and all the rest of it. What do you make of that by way of, of explaining or trying to some of the issues that have swirled around that office and since she took it? Well, at the time that Ms. Gonzalez took over, um, there may have been some vacancies, but certainly there wasn't the staffing crisis that we are in currently. That staffing crisis is a direct result of her failure in leadership in the office while she has been district attorney. Uh, that 11 Alive um, story that you made reference to, I think most recently they reported that out of 17 assistant district attorney positions, there are only five d- assistant district attorneys currently working for Ms. Gonzalez. So obviously that's going to create uh, high, higher than normal caseloads for the people who are working in the office. But the result of her staffing issues is not a caseload that is too high. Her staffing issues were caused by her failure in leadership, which has then resulted in these incredibly high caseloads. Let's talk about some specifics here. First of all, and you'll know this, you would have dealt with some of these cases. Tell us about Marcy's Law, uh, what that is, what it does, and, 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 and Deborah Gonzalez allegedly accused of running afoul of it and handling some of these cases. What is this law? So Marcy's Law is, you know, the simplest way to think about it is a victim's rights law in the state of Georgia, which says that a district attorney's office and the criminal justice system in general must grant the victim certain rights. At the very minimum and at basic is rights are to be notified of when court proceedings are and when certain actions such as plea agreements or the entry of a guilty plea in court uh, is going to happen and have the right to be present at those proceedings. Um, So at a minimum, that's kind of what Marcy's Law grants to victims. I mean, as far as what you're saying, having been alleged to have run afoul of those, uh, I don't think it's an allegation anymore. It's been found by Mm -hmm. Superior Court judges on three separate occasions that that's happened. And, and, and specifically what? What would have happened and without going into too many details? What, what are we talking about? So, I mean, in, in one case, it involved a vehicular homicide where a DUI driver had killed an individual who was riding home uh, on a bicycle. Uh, the district attorney's office failed to notify either the victim's wife or the victim's sister that a plea agreement was going to be entered in court until 30 minutes before it happened. Um, both parties, I believe, since then have indicated they would have been in opposition to the plea agreements, and it's involved only probation and a reduction of the And would felt. have been in a position to be in a courtroom with the victim's impact statement. That's correct. They would have had an opportunity to address the court, tell the court what they felt about 
uh, that plea agreement being entered. And then this particular case that we're talking about would have provided to the judge information that he was not provided about the district turn- by the district attorney's office about the facts of the case that may have influenced whether or not he was willing to accept that plea agreement. Now, this does it, and I'm, I'm trying to phrase this in, in a way that's as respectful to everybody as I can be here, but it, this doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like the hardest part of law. I mean, this this is... This is C-spot run stuff, isn't it? It is. I mean, we are talking about the minimum procedural rights that a victim is afforded in our criminal justice system. The right to be notified that something is happening and the right to be notified in a timely manner so that they can be present uh, if they choose to be and address the court if they choose to do so. I mean, these are the, the lowest duties that you owe to a victim. Asking because I don't know. In your time in the DA's office, were there any Marcy's Law violations or even allegations of them? So there were not. It would have been, um, you know, Marcy's Law, I believe, passed after. Correct. Now that I'm thinking about it, it's actually a constitutional amendment, we should say. That's right. But before there was a Victim's Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But beyond that, whether there is a law saying that you should have to do these things or not, just understanding your role as a prosecutor, the minimum duty that you owe to a victim is at least to let them know what's happening. And frankly, you know, to be clear about it, there are going to be times in which a victim wants something to happen in a case. But you assessing that case as a prosecutor are going to decide that justice demands something different than Mm. maybe what the victim will want. But even in those situations, you have an obligation and a duty to that victim to communicate with them, explain to them what it is you're intending to do, why it is that you're intending to do that, and let them know that even if they disagree with that, they have the right and opportunity to be in court and to be heard on that issue before the judge. Uh, again, Cocky Yalaman Chile, candidate for district attorney, uh, the election in November. Deborah Gonzalez, the first term incumbent there. Uh, other bills of particular, as you look at the record that she has compiled during her tenure in office, you and others highly critical. What do you look at? What do you point to as you're out there talking to folks? So one of the things, it, it, there's been a lot of re- reporting on the ways in which this district attorney's office is failing our community. And I think it's important to educate people about that. But when I'm out there talking to people, what I try to talk to them about is my vision for the office and how I believe that this is an incredible community to live and work in and how we can have a really good district attorney's office here. One of the best district attorney's offices in the state. When I say that, I explain to them I'm not talking about measuring conviction rates. I'm talking about building an office with the culture that says we're going to do the right thing the right way regardless of whether anyone is watching and staffing it with experienced committed prosecutors who have demonstrated that they have the ability to deliver justice for victims and protect the rights of individuals in our community. I'm going to speak to you as a voter, as a constituent, as somebody who lives here. I do want conviction rates. I I want them to be. uh, People are accused of very serious crimes and I want those folks tried. I want them prosecuted. I want them convicted. I want them sentenced. I want them put away. I want them to be away from me and the people I love and and keep us safe. And I'm sure you run into that all the time. Absolutely. And when someone commits an offense in our community, especially offense in which they've hurt another individual. So we're talking about the most serious offenses, you know, whether they be sexual assaults, whether they be murders, armed robberies, um, you know, aggravated assaults, things where someone has hurt someone else. We're going to have the staff there that knows how to try cases, knows how to try them well and knows how to get convictions. 
When I say we're not going to measure uh, our success by conviction rate alone, what I'm talking about is that the role of the district attorney is also when we find nonviolent offenders who are committing offenses because they have an underlying substance abuse mm-hmm. or mental health issue, that we also focus resources on making sure that those people are connected with programs that reduce the chance of them reoffending. We have, we have the, the drug court vehicle here already. That's right. We have a felony drug court, which is currently only about half full because of the failure of the district attorney's office to be able to handle the cases that are coming through the door, evaluate them, and connect those people with the resources that can help them not offend again. And that's just common sense. That makes sense for the person charged with the crime. That makes sense for the community, and that's what justice demands in those circumstances. Deborah Gonzalez had, upon taking office, the the now famous day one memo. Here's what I'm not going to prosecute. Any such memo in your mind at this moment? No, there's no memo that says we're going to categorically do things in all of these cases or categorically not do things in all of those cases. In my opinion, that fails to fulfill the role of a prosecutor, which is to review the evidence in each case, review the circumstances of the defendant, the victim, and all of the surrounding issues in each case, and then fashion a solution whether it be taking the case to trial, whether it be a plea agreement, whether it be pretrial diversion, uh, fashion a solution that deals with the issues presented in that particular case. Tonky Yalom and Sheely mentioned earlier that you're running as an independent. When last we spoke, that involved getting signatures on petitions just to get on the ballot, if I'm remembering correctly. How's that effort going? So it's going really well. We had been in communications with the Secretary of State's office. We've been able to determine with them and, and get their opinion on the exact number of signatures we need, which is 5,406. Our goal is to shoot for 6,500 mm-hmm. signatures. Make sure they're all valid, obviously. That's right. You know, and there are going to be innocent reasons for why there wouldn't be a valid signature. Someone may move out of the circuit between the time they sign and before uh, they're submitted for uh, verification. By the way, what's the deadline on this? Because qualifying's in, what, March? Yeah, March 4th through the 8th is qualifying. July 9th is the uh, deadline for the signature collection. Uh, and we, we've got that effort underway now. This past Saturday, we had our first orientation for canvassers who are going to go out in the community. Um, well, the requirements are simply, I got to be, I got to be a resident of Clark or Oconee County. I suppose I need to be a registered voter. That's correct. Which, you have which, to be which means re- I'm obviously of age. Right. Registered voters in Clark County or Oconee County are all eligible to sign the petition. Uh, you can get more information on how to sign the petition at our website, kalki4da.com slash petition, which is K-A-L-K-I-F-O-R-D-A.com slash petition. Um, and you can just go to our website to gather more information on my campaign or to volunteer by just going to kalki4da.com. Kalki, K-A-L-K-I, as he mentioned. Kalki4, spell out the word for, kalki4da.com. Kalki Yalaman Sheely, candidate for district attorney. Best of luck out there. Thanks for drumming in this morning. Thanks a lot, Tim. I appreciate the opportunity.